Hello, this is Robert Reyes, and we are coming to you from the Millennium Fandom Bar in beautiful, lovely downtown Las Vegas. And why are we here, you're wondering? No, this is not a Lost STLV episode that I finally got around to editing. Today, January 5th, 2018, marks the official 20th anniversary of the opening of Star Trek The Experience at the Las Vegas Hilton. And a lot of people are here, former cast members of the experience, fans of the experience. Larry Namachek is here because why wouldn't Larry be here? And now we're going to throw it to Meta Robert at the Star Trek headquarters at the Friendly Studios to explain a brief history of Star Trek The Experience. Thank you, Past Robert. Hello, this is Meta Robert coming to you from the Friendly Studios Star Trek desk. Now, we're here to t give you a brief overview of what was Star Trek The Experience. Now, Star Trek The Experience opened to the public on January 5th, 1998 at where the Westgate Hotel and Casino currently is. 20 years ago, that was the Las Vegas Hilton. We're going to play a promo that you would see um, on selected Paramount VHS tapes. Beginning summer 1997, you're invited to engage your senses, transport your spirit, and boldly go where no one has gone before. The 24th century is coming to the Las Vegas Hilton. In conjunction with Paramount Parks, construction has begun on the galaxy's most exciting destination. Star Trek The Experience. For the first time, you will actually be able to see, feel, touch, and live the 24th century world of Star Trek, the most popular space adventure ever created. Beaming aboard the Bridge of the Enterprise, you'll embark on an adventure through space and through time. On board a Starfleet shuttlecraft, you'll become a part of the warp speed action. Your destination is the alien-built outpost Deep Space Nine. There, the fun continues on the promenade with the galaxy's finest dining, a universe of shopping for every taste, and your chance to enjoy tomorrow's most amazing games today. Make your plans to be among the first in the galaxy to beam up to 24th century adventure. Star Trek The Experience. Only at the Las Vegas Hilton. Stardate, summer 1997. Now, I know in this promo, it does say that it was supposed to open in the summer of 1997. But later on, when we throw it back to Past Robert at the Millennium Fandom Bar in Las Vegas, we're going to learn from Larry Nemechek why there were delays in the opening of the experience. This next bit of audio comes from two different TV stations in Las Vegas, Channel 8 and Channel 13, as they covered the opening of the experience to the public on January 5th, 1998. Thousands of people are crowding into the Las Vegas Hilton tonight. They've been lining up all day long and even now to get into Star Trek The Experience. Kirk Chason has the story. Even before you get on the ride, you can pass the time getting an autograph from a Ferengi, aliens notorious for their greed. 
There's a couple of things I'll do, like I'll say, hey, do you want me to take you to the front of the line? Five slips to get to the front of the line. And of course, you know, before they realize, oh, he's not going to take me to the front of the line, I've taken off with their money. The ride's creators have actually tried to increase its capacity today to handle the huge crowd. We have um, done some things with the show cycles within the attraction to make sure that we take the maximum number of people through that we can every hour. Once you enter the fast-paced ride, you're told you've been transported to the year 2371. next to the bridge. See if you can reinforce the intake. We don't have time to replace it. The actors are from the TV series Star Trek The Next Generation. You've all been abducted from the 20th century by a hostile group of aliens known as Klingons. Lieutenant Edwards. Sir. Give them a look at what's behind us. Fools! You will regret defying me! To escape the aliens, you head to a shuttlecraft where you'll try to enter a time warp that returns you to 1998. Can you direct your attention to the warp? Monitor on the wall, command on the floor, safety instructions. I'm going to skip ahead to the loading procedure. As soon as you're seated, fasten your safety restraint. You've got company. The climax is a very bumpy simulated shuttle ride. After it's over, the reaction? It was awesome. Definitely worth the wait. Go see it. Uh, best ride I've been on in a long time. And what about all the actors? What did you think about them? Uh, kind of corny, but... That made me think I was in the future. And, of course, no hotel attraction in Las Vegas would be complete without the chance to do a little shopping. The promenade section includes several shops where you can buy a variety of Star Trek memorabilia, such as watches or commemorative plates. You could even pick up an authentic Klingon costume for the out-of-this-world price of $12,000. And if you're hungry, you can pop into the restaurant where you can enjoy meals like a chicken dish called the Wrap of Khan and finish up with Odo's Changeling ice cream. Thank you. Well, it's been in the making for nearly three years, but now the Las Vegas Hilton is ready to launch its newest attraction. And it's an experience that's out of this world. New tonight, Star Trek The Experience opens to the public this Sunday, and News 13's Mimi Jung has an inside look. Sitting back, join us on this, the final voyage of the Starship Enterprise. It's every Trekkie's dream, a Star Trek movie brought to life. The voyage begins with a history of the future walk, giving you a detailed look at Star Trek memorabilia and artifacts. Then, before you know it, you are beamed into the 24th century aboard the Starship Enterprise. We'll put you aboard a transport shuttle and take you back to the temporal rift, which Korath used to bring you to the future. And taken for a simulated space flight through the galaxies, 10 billion miles away from Earth. Well, it's a serious experience. It's live actors, it's, it's motion and, and thrill rides. The best of the movie and, and theme parks kind of wrap up. The warp speed adventure ends in a restaurant and bar where you are greeted by Klingons and Ferengi. And we are here to do a little culture trade. Ah, ah. Show the humans what we are and learn from the humans of this time frame are. You two might are different in the future. But this is not just a novelty ride for Trekkie fans. Everyone can walk away with the experience. I was really kind of just expecting uh, to be thrown onto a shuttle ride, one of these simulators, and that was about it. But uh, it was really a, a dramatic uh, experience, too. You know, they, there's actors that uh, bring you through the ride, and it was, uh, I was quite impressed, actually.
And that was Mimi Jung reporting. Now, Star Trek The Experience is part of the new space theme at the Las Vegas Hilton. The Space Quest Casino opened in November. The Experience opens to VIPs and the media in a gala celebration tomorrow night. Now, that was how the local media covered it. Unfortunately, I was not able to find the interview of when William Shatner, I believe William Shatner, yes, when William Shatner was on the Today Show because all three of the network morning shows sent someone to the Hilton to cover the opening of Star Trek The Experience. So unfortunately, I was not able to find that audio. Now, this next bit of audio comes from courtesy of E! Entertainment Television, and you can tell how much things have changed in the last 20 years because this, I believe, is a clip from Jules Asner's Wild On series where they talk about the opening of the experience and a guided tour with Marina Surtees. Pretty unreal places, but leave it to Vegas to take the fictional world of Star Trek and make it a place you actually can visit. Star Trek fans from across the globe are rushing to the Las Vegas Hilton to experience the new safe passenger simulator, Star Trek The Adventure. The ride of a lifetime. Just inside is the Hilton's new space-themed casino, where just a wave of the hand can crank a slot machine into a spinning frenzy. After a quick drink that's been named in her honor, it's good. Marina Sirtis, a.k.a. Counselor Deanna Troy from the Star Trek series, agreed to give us the VIP tour of the new attraction. We're going to go through this entrance into this fabulous ride. It's really great. I've done it before. Why don't you follow me and we'll take a look. Look, it's my spaceship. Uh, that's my run, second light from the left. Before jumping onto the ride, Marina gave us a quick peek at the attraction's memorabilia showcase. Remember the cosmic cheerleader people? A little short, a little sixes. We've, we're way past that now. As Marina points out, there are a few conspicuous items missing from the collection. Now, I've noticed that my spacesuit isn't in any of these glass containers, and that's probably because uh, they're hanging in my closet at home. But that'll be just between you and me, okay? Oh, well. Now it's time to board the ship. Counselor Troy made sure all passengers were securely fastened in their seats. You know, you sometimes wonder if people don't know how to do this, that how do they get through the day, you know? Have you done it? Okay, there we are. There we are. Not rocket science. This is the scary part. Yay! There's only one thing you should know before you take a trip on the Starship Enterprise at the Las Vegas Hilton. Don't touch the button. What are you people doing down here? Oh, hi. Who said you could stand up? That's right. Don't touch the button. Let the captain do the driving. Otherwise, you might end up in the basement like we did. I pressed the button before we took off. And you did. I know. Oh, my God. To give you a brief overview there were two attractions inside the experience well to clarify a few things 
the experience you had the walking tour with all of the props and memorabilia that was their timeline to the future where you would go in and over the course of the 10 years the experience was open they did update it because when the experience opened in 1998 voyager was still stuck in the delta quadrant and we had no idea who captain archer was in 2004 excuse me when they decided to open a second attraction they updated all of that information to include enterprise so paramount would have someone come in and they would curate the museum part of the exhibit i guess would be the best way to say it there were two attractions the first one which a uh, premiere debuted january 5th 1998 was the klingon encounter now the klingon encounter long story short there's a klingon named korath same korath we see in endgame uses time travel technology he thinks if he kidnap one of picard's ancestors he will prevent captain picard from being born and what ends up happening is you go in you think you're gonna go on a simulated ride shuttle ride around space nine you don't you get transported aboard the ncc 1701d and after the shock you get escorted to the bridge of the enterprise the actual bridge of the enterprise yes i know and on the view screen you see jonathan frakes as commander Riker, and lavar burton as Jordy explaining that captain picard has disappeared and we believe Korath is after one of you because one of you has to be Captain Picard's ancestor. You're taken through the Grand Corridor, which we never got to see in the series, but did exist in the ship, to a shuttle bay where Geordi is giving us the instructions on how to enter the shuttle. We get in and we're being guided by another shuttle pilot to take us through this time vortex back to between 1998 and 2008, depending on when you rode the attraction. And you're fighting Korath and his bird of play, prey and other things along the way. And eventually the climax of the ride was you make it back to Las Vegas, you're over the skies of Las Vegas. The Enterprise D comes out of nowhere and shoots Korath and his Klingon bird of prey out of the sky. And then you crash into the top of the Hilton where they had, the top of the Hilton had this H done in a specific way that was their logo our iconic logo for the las vegas hilton you crash into that and you end up falling down into the basement where you're found by a janitor and they take you back up to quarks and all of the shops there on the promenade deck that was the klingon encounter the second attraction which opened in 2004 was Borg Invasion 4D. Now here was some audio I found of Kate Mulgrew, Robert Picardo, and Alice Kriege explaining the, explaining the attraction. This is going to be more extravagant, more diabolical, more thrilling, altogether more sophisticated. The moment when the Borg Queen enters the story, she comes down as the first time we saw her as a disembodied head. And my understanding of it is that she actually enters the audience space, but intensely. I mean, she will be in front, inches away from every member of the audience. She will be right there talking to each individual member of the audience, preparing them for assimilation. Um, 
I, I hope that it will be an unnerving experience for the audience. That's the intention. The added element of the interactive um, chairs that the audience sits in, which will sort of, I think, surprise and shock them in ways that they haven't been engaged before in a, you know, in a theater experience. Um, plus the fact that I, I would think that the head of the board queen floating up to your nose is going to be kind of a chilling experience for the average uh, audience member. So um, I think that you know the combination of the fact that the Borg are the greatest villains in in the in the Star Trek world, um, linked to these to the uh, to effects that the audience hasn't experienced before, is going to give this kind of a special jolt. Now, this is only the second time we ever get to see Admiral Janeway ever, the first time being in Nemesis, and this being the second time. Now, the plot of Borg 4D is the holographic doctor is running this medical study because he, he finds a group of people who have a gene that prevents them from being assimilated by Borg nanoprobes. And he ends up doing a study to see who has this gene, can it be replicated, can we weaponize it or not weaponize weaponize is the wrong word can we use it to help prevent future borg attacks and assimilation and you're on the space station when all of a sudden a borg cube shows up and the borg end up invading the station trying to prevent the doctor from finding out how to use this natural immunity to the nanoprobes where you're tempt and you end up getting taken under the borg cube where the borg queen is trying to tempt you the same way data was tempted in first contact and we uh past robert's going to talk about talk about the experience in the theater for that so I'm not going to ruin that surprise. You're resisting the assimilation. You're trying to resist when Admiral Janeway comes in with the Voyager, or I believe is the Voyager, and blows up the cube and saves everyone. And that's how that ends. Now, the attraction itself was open January 5th, 1998. The attraction closed September 1st, 2008. And there is a video on YouTube when they had the closing ceremonies. So the attraction was open for over 10 and a half years. So it just missed the JJ-verse by a hair. We're going to throw it now back to Past Robert, who, as I said, is at the Millennium Fandom Bar in beautiful, lovely Las Vegas, Nevada. Thanks, Meta Robert. So standing next to me, we have John Kikorian. So why don't you tell us some of your memories of the experience? The Star Trek experience, in my mind, is probably one of the singular best experiences that you could have in, like, a corporate setting. You know, when you go to something like STLV, it's fan of fan it's really about that but it's a place where you could go and totally get your nerd on in an environment that was friendly and fun where the people around you really cared about putting on an event for you that really mattered and you could celebrate your fandom and just have a great time I mean I took my wife who has no interest in Trek and she had a great time and she didn't even know what a Borg was or what a Vulcan was and had a great time and it was just a great thing to have access to and it's sad that it's gone and we'll always have a positive memory of it. So do you have any specific memories from the experience? Yeah, it was, uh, it was my birthday one year and my wife said, where do you want to go? And I think she was expecting me to say like a fancy steakhouse or, you know, let's stay in a fancy hotel. And I said, I really want to go to the Star Trek experience and have a warp core breach at Quark's Bar. And she's like, I don't know what those words are that you just said. 
And, and I said, it's okay, hon. If it's my birthday, that's what I'd like to do. Is that okay? And, and that's what we did. And it was probably one of the top three birthdays I've ever had. Because uh, I was with someone that I love in a place that I loved, uh, surrounded by something that really matters to me. So that it was just an incredibly positive experience. Now, some of our listeners will probably want to know what is or what was a Warp Core Breach. It was a ridiculous, redonkulous drink that was approximately the size of a small barrel, came with like smoke and stuff coming out of it, and it really was like a two-person or three-person beverage, you know, well, my friend over here is saying five, I think three, but maybe two, maybe one, I don't know, but it was this gigantic blue drink that came in something that was about the size of a fishbowl. And you drank this thing, and it was delicious, it was excellent, and I recommend you would only ever drink one at a time. So you would recommend the hamburger while, while drinking that? Something greasy would be a good thing, yeah, yeah. I think that would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, and over here, to my right, is Starfleet Mom. So what are some of your memories of the experience? Oh my gosh, um, my first time at the Star Trek experience, my best friend, Star Trek Junkie, and I were in Las Vegas for a different convention. And we had stayed an extra day and gone out to dinner, and I said, hey, you want to go check out that Star Trek thing they have over at the Hilton? She's like, yeah, okay. And we went there, we took the monorail. And we get halfway through the museum timeline that they had in there, and I start crying. And she's like, honey, what's the matter? Why are you crying? And I'm like, chicks don't like this story. You're like reading every word with me. And I, it was just so overclamped. It, it was it was like the entire Star Trek universe as we knew it at that time, like all in one place. And I remember standing in line to go on one of the rides. And the lady next to her said, do you know what any of this stuff is about? I'm just here with my husband. I don't know what this stuff is. And Melissa started spewing like, the encyclopedia of boredom at this woman. And I just start laughing. She's like, what? I'm like, you're a nerd. Like, we were already best friends, but we did not know this about each other. And I think that, like, that was it. We've been inseparable ever since. And so the following year, we went to our first Star Trek convention. It was the 40th anniversary. And it was at the Hilton, at the Star Trek experience. And we never saw the light of day for six days. We just escaped reality and lived in Star Trek for six days, and it was the best week of my life. Do you have any specific memories of the experience? Um, well, yeah, I just told you that. <laughs> Another one was the first time we were there, there was a board walking around. I'm pretty sure it was Vernon, who I didn't know at the time. And we ran away, we were so scared of him. And one of the cast members yelled at us for running, and we're like, but, but there's a board over there. We were so scared. So, like, it was real to us. It was, it was all real. Thank you. All right. So now it's loud. So we're heading into the gallery area, and here inside the gallery area, they have a lot of memorabilia, props, costumes, posters, pictures of the experience. If you go on YouTube. There is a video, a short video that was on a VHS tape. For those of you young kids, VHS was what we did before DVD, before streaming. There was a commercial 
for Star Trek The Experience. And it was supposed to open in the summer of 1997. But for whatever reason, maybe Larry can fill us in on why there was a six-month delay. It didn't open officially to the public till midnight, 1201 January 5th. The day before, January 4th, they had the big VIP event. Hello. Hello. I'm Robert Reyes. I'm with the Promenade Podcast. Did you folks work at the experience? Yes. We're all in retail. We're all in the retail. Okay, here. Let me give you my card. Oh, we're good. I was a Ferengi slave. I'll let you guys talk. (laughs) (laughs) You were my slave? What? Yeah, we were all Ferengi slaves. Yeah, we worked in the promenade. He worked in the Admirals. Oh, I worked in the Admirals. I worked in Zex. I was one of the counselors. I was one of the lead retail people. Okay. Very fun. Actually. Well, I don't. I, I'll start with Robert here. So you can give your name and what you did at the experience. Sure. My name is Robert Niwa. I was there for seven and a half years in retail. Um, mainly, I worked in the Admirals collection, which is the store with the high-end collectibles, twelve thousand dollar Klingon suits. Wow. And nobody ever bought, but we sold them. But um, $5,000 rubber statues of Locutus and the Borg Queen, we sold out of those. Wait, that that was $5,000? $5,000 each. We sold 500 of each of them. Wow. Sold out of the limited edition. Yep. Over the years. Over the years. Yep. Um, The largest sale I ever had was $107,000 to one customer. Uh, was a, his name was Mark Acker. He was an attorney from New York City. He bought Patrick Stewart's condo and was converting it to his own private Star Trek museum. So that was the largest sale I ever had. What did he buy? Pretty much everything. Uh, we had replicas of all the props from the show. Um, Vulcan harps, the Borg Queen and the Lucutus statues. Um, he bought a Klingon suit for himself. Um, pretty much one of everything we had. Now to clarify, the Admiral, those were all replicas of props. They and were made by Paramount's prop department, but they weren't used on the show. Okay. All of the props were that were used on the show were in the history of the Future Museum. Okay. Now, other than the hundred thousand dollars sale, do you have any other memories of working at the Experience? Um, we had Insurrections World Premiere um, uh, in 1998 at the experience the entire next gen crew was in quarks for about an hour and a half that was really cool um we sold these tree ornaments that were about four inches tall i still don't know why but f murray abraham the villain from insurrection bought four gorn tree ornaments and the gorn is actually here tonight billy bobby clark he's actually here tonight wow so wait, so these weren't the Hallmark ornaments. These were licensed from Paramount? They were licensed from Paramount. There was a whole set of, like, there was... Yeah, they were just ours. They were just for the experience. We sold a lot of things that were exclusive to the experience. And that's one of the reasons I think people would buy in a place like the, uh, the uh, Admirals. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, crazy. Okay, and if you can introduce yourself, sir, and what you did at the experience. No My name is Paul Van Middlesworth. I was a counselor at the experience, uh, which means I was one of the leaders in the retail division. Uh, I was one of the first people they hired actually for retail as a retail person and, and it was a lot of fun. We developed you know, all kinds of protocol and, and all that stuff and it was just really amazing to work with customers from the very first day you know, when all the stars came in and all that stuff. It was just unbelievable to be able to work there with the people who were excited about being 
allowed into the, the gut of Star Trek. And to be able to come out of this attraction and buy a Quark's cup or a, a name tag or a video, uh, it was unbelievable the experience watching these people just having fun from all over the world, literally. So the first day was officially open January 5th. It was open 24 consecutive hours, was, correct? Yes. And, and we were there most of the night, I think. Um, it was unbelievable. The, the actors were there. They were buying things. Uh, it was kind of funny, actually. Um, but uh, um, stars, just general people that came after midnight. Um, and we were there, I think, until about 4 in the morning, my crew. Uh, and I think we had to close down for a certain amount of time and then reopen the next day. But unbelievable. Quark's Bar was full. Everybody was eating and happy, and it was just amazing to be part of this initiation of the, the Star Trek world for the, the populace. It was awesome. Yeah. I got to have the privilege of working there where I got to meet my partner uh, that I've been living with for the last 12 years. Uh, and my experience with the my experience with Star Trek the experience pardon the pun uh, I run a Star Trek club here in town called the USS Las Vegas and you are I am Paul Walker okay I think we might have met at STLV yes we definitely did uh, back back a few years ago and I have since run a Star Trek club where we've been invited to participate in special events and one of the events we my club was able to participate in as sad as it was but the joy of it was the closing ceremonies. They were showing that video earlier tonight. Correct. Uh, if you if you look carefully, you'll see people in red shirts. Uh, that's the Star Trek crew, the USS Las Vegas, where we were able to try help participate in closing the experience, where it was actually filmed by Paramount to be included as a special feature in one of the Evolutions disc uh, for the Next Generation set that came out back in the day. And that's something that's going to be on DVD forever and ever and ever. Our footage there in the background. We weren't paid to be there, but God, you wouldn't, you couldn't pay us to be there. We wanted to help out in any way we could. So do you have any memories of the experience? Yes, uh, obviously uh, meeting my partner Robert, uh, helping out with the closing ceremonies, uh, just meeting various celebrities when they came in in their own personal gear. I was working in the retail department one day, and um, Robert, uh, Nog's name, Nog. Aaron Eisenberg, Aaron Eisenberg came in. Aaron Eisenberg came up to my register, and everybody kept saying, that's Aaron Eisenberg, in my crew, and I'm like, okay, all right. I didn't believe, but he comes up with his credit card, and I'm like, oh my God, I need to get your autograph, and he's thinking I want his personal autograph, I said, oh no, I can't get your autograph autograph, I need it on a credit card receipt. So you just never knew who, who was coming in. One day, you know, you're working the register, taking care of the customers, and talking Star Trek, and trivia, and answering questions, and living the life, and here you get celebrities walk in. So, it's just incredible. So I have a question because I've seen it, and I think it might have been for the Voyager DVD set, mm -hmm. this big 20-minute thing about the experience, and they were showing the reason. So some of the the people in costume as Ferengis would walk around. So how did that interaction work with them? Well, the, the characters would walk around the entire pl uh, prop, entire attraction, and then they would come downstairs to the promenade, which is a shopping center, and they would interact with any guests that were in the stores. Uh, the late, great Tom Dyshley, who was General Motog, rest his soul, he's in Stovacor, uh, I hope. Um, but uh, he, you know, he would interact with customers, and he, we got into an interaction with staff and in role play. And we just had the greatest time interacting with these characters because it was all ad-lib, it was all spontaneous, and we could keep up with each other. And it was just incredible to, to live a life of Star Trek 
I came down from Oregon. I moved from Southern Oregon, Medford Grants Pass, not to work at the experience as a major Star Trek fan, but I got the job of a lifetime. I said, oh my God, I got the privilege of working at Paramount Park, Star Trek experience as a Star Trek fanatic. What more could be said? And I had the greatest time in the world. I wish it was still going on. Uh, I, we all miss it. We all want to wish it would come back, but we know it's not going to. And it was a life. And we had a great time. So for those 10 years, it was just, it was per perfection. It was. Uh, my Star Trek club, the USS Las Vegas, uh, is here in town. We used to meet once a month inside Quark's. We would walk into Quarks. We started with about four, ten, five or ten people as in, a, in a small club, and it just gradually grew and expanded. We pushed our way out to where we're out in the middle of the dining room with, for 35 people, 25, 30, 35 people. And the public didn't know we, what we were doing. They were having dinner at Quarks, having a drink at the bar. And here I am with my crew in uniforms coming in, having a Star Trek club meeting, and the public is loving it. They're not part of a Star Trek club, but here they are getting to take part in the Star Trek club meeting. Under the big top of Quarks. What more can you say? We had, I tell people, we had a playground to play in uh, as Star Trek people. And the powers that be all went their separate ways. You know, the Hilton went their way. The CBS got split up and Paramount and all that. And all the powers that be that signed on the dotted line back in 1997 were nowhere to be, you know, were all gone. So the 10-year original lease finally expired, and Paramount sold Star Trek Experience to Cedar Fair yeah. in Ohio. But the true story is they, Cedar Fair did not want Star Trek. They wanted the amusement parks, but they didn't want Star Trek because they didn't know how to operate it. They didn't know what to do with it because it's not a theme park. It's, it's a specialized attraction. So once Cedar Fair took over, Everything just kind of went downhill. They kind of cut the budget, stopped the advertising, let the 10-year lease run out, and that was the end of it. Well, I heard a rumor, now I don't know if you've heard this rumor, that allegedly they were going to use that space and make it a theater for Michael Jackson. That was the rumor. Now, confirm or not, it was never confirmed. Nope, that was the active rumor that we were all thinking that after the experience closed out that... Uh, yes, Michael Jackson was going to come in and do a show or two or three or a residency, but we all know what happened to Michael Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. So that plan went, obviously, rest his soul. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, and look what's happened to the Hilton since then. The Hilton became the LVH, then it became Westgate, a timeshare hotel and resort. And for a short while, part of the attraction space was leased out to Elvis Presley. There was an Elvis Presley experience uh, inside part of what was Star Trek the experience. Oh, wow. Uh, Lisa Marie and Priscilla Presley consigned with and signed agreements to bring some of the stuff from Memphis, from Graceland, put it on permanent display here in Las Vegas, uh, and let the fans come in and see Las uh, Elvis attractions and Elvis mementos in the hotel that he used to perform in. Because back in the 1970s, yeah. the Las Vegas Hilton was not the Hilton. It was the, it was the, it was the International Hotel. That's right. And if anybody's an Elvis Presley fan, everybody knows that Elvis Presley only performed all of his Las Vegas concert at the International Hotel, which became the Las Vegas Hilton. 
And unfortunately, that experience, the Elvis Presley experience, didn't last very long, several months, and it went away. So now that space, all that space now that used to be Space Quest Casino uh, and the entrance to Star Trek is all gone. It's now timeshare presentation. And the only, there is still a little bit of permanent Star Trek experience on the property. The monorails. There is a large Delta shield on the side of the building, and the sign has, that used to say Star Trek Experience right under it has been painted over. But because of the monorail being built after the experience opened, there's no way to get a crane or any kind of equipment into that very narrow area to take down those signages. So they're going to be up there for forever and ever. And the other part that's left, a little bit that's left, if you go outside the experience... Uh, at the gift shop. Well, outside the, and the sidewalk, out by where the uh, restaurant row, as I call it, where Pizza Hut is and all that, you go outside the building, there is a metal gate going downstairs. That's where the employees used to go in to work for the experience. It still says it in stencil, Star Trek employees only, on that metal gate. Beyond that, Beyond that Delta Shield and that painted over sign, there is nothing left of Star Trek the Experience. Well, there's that the gift that one gift shop that looks like it's from Deep Space Nine. It, it, it as far as I know, I haven't been over there in years. What well, was there? L- not 2017, but 2016, it was there. It might have been there then, but I haven't. Been, I haven't been over to the okay. to the Hilton in years, so I don't know okay, right. uh, if there's still something. I know that that's the Elvis Presley store I was telling you about. They had a gift shop for Elvis Presley. They also carry, ironically, the Elvis Presley gift shop carried Star Trek mementos. <laughs> uh, you could get Star Trek stuff in there, licensed by Vendor Vendor Gifts, for example. Yeah. So, you know, it was it was just unique to be able to. You know, after all, after Star Trek experience closed, walk into the Elvis Presley experience and say, "My God, I'm standing where this used to be, yeah. or what used to be here is now what this is." Uh, Vernon Wilmer, who's the unofficial historian of Star Trek experience, he actually could tell you more about what was where when that Elvis Presley place was open. Is he here tonight? He's okay. He's being swamped by everybody, but he's wandering around. So okay. I mean, it, I had a great time. You know, speaking for myself. Uh, I had a blast working there, and having this kind of place, I got to see my old bosses, my old supervisors, and I haven't seen them in years, and we're one big happy family. We still have all those memories, and we're just having a great time, you know, getting caught up with each other. Thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) You used to work on Star Trek. Oh, you worked at the Experience? Yeah. Well, you... uh, you can finish your cake first. Well, it's a podcast. Let me give you my card. Robert Reyes. Are you local? No, I'm from the LA area. Oh. Oh. So. You just came here for this. Yes. For the Experience 20th anniversary. Yes, because I I went to the Experience once in 2007. Just once? Oh my gosh! You should find Dale over here. Dale is one of our. Uh, one of the guys who used to show up every year, maybe twice a year, every year that I was there. So why don't you introduce yourself and let everyone know what you did with the experience. My name is Charles, and I was with the Star Trek experience for the last four years it was open. And I was a Starfleet uh, 
um, officer in, well, I played many different officers, as we all did, played uh, various different roles on both the Borg Invasion and the Klingon experience, Klingon encounter. Can I just say, I did not like the chairs in the Borg 4D because they, they didn't tell you it was going to be doing that. One of the funnest things is when you're doing that and you're sitting in the theater and you know what's coming up, the people that, how they were doing it. When the thing, when the chair poked them, I had people cry. I had people laugh. And one guy go, "Oh yeah, baby, do it again." <laughs> I mean, I just did the, the various experiences you had when that moment happened. So what we're talking about is there was the original Klingon experience, and then a few years later they built the Borg 4D. And when you get into the to the seats, they had sensors that simulated Borg nanite nanoprobes. Well, they did various things. They sprayed water at you. They sprayed. Uh, puffs of air and then of course the, the seats had little things in there would actually poke you in the seat and in the back so it would be these little things that would just probe you, sort of probe you and poke you and nobody expected it <laughs> and they would quite have various reactions to it. It was absolutely, it was one of the funner things about sitting in that theater for, for the show. Now were you there when they had the big premiere when they had Robert Picardo and Cape? No. No, actually, I came in. Uh, one of the first actors that came in after they opened to they okay. re they hired people after it opened. I came in probably about four or five months after it opened. So you were the the person who would lead the group to to the 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 the, quote, the shuttle ride area. Well, we all played different roles. We each played. It, it, we were all cross trained to do every role, okay. and so. Yeah, I was at one time, you know, I was one of the officers that, that brought him into the, the theater. I was one of the officers that, you know, got taken up by the Borg or killed or, or started the whole thing. We, so, yeah, we cross-trained and we all played different, different roles. You could come in various times of the day. You'd see me in one role, and later on you'd see me in a different role. It, it's just so that we were cross-trained to do everything. So do you have any memor um special memories or specific memories from your time working at the experience well it, it we we considered it one of the funnest jobs in the world where you uh, when when i called a friend of mine in uh where i'd lived and i said i just auditioned to be in star trek somebody goes of all people that i know that is the perfect job for you <laughs> and then i you know you think you're this professional know it all about star trek then you come work there and you find out you're just an amateur compared to some of the <laughs> some of the people you're working with who know so much about it. And when you're this passionate about a show and all this stuff, and now you get to go to work and you get to play Starfleet and every day, I'm like, what a dream come true just to actually just go into work every day, put on a Starfleet uniform, carry a phaser rifle, and just go. I'm having fun, and you know, and the people that are coming there are having fun, and you know what? It's the best job in the galaxy. It was. It was absolutely the best job in the galaxy. So did did the crowd tend to get rowdy around STLV time? Oh or? my gosh! Around Star Trek convention time is, <laughs> was was not only the busiest time. I mean, because we would be working overtime because they'd, they'd be there until one o'clock in the morning, and we'd be like accruing a lot of overtime. So it was great for us, but also you know you'd be doing your job. And then in one moment where you're playing the Starfleet, you know, and then a board comes around the corner in, in the scene, you have to pull your phaser. Well, you're also seeing six or seven other phasers being pulled at the same time by all the people in their Starfleet uniforms, and they're pulling their phasers, and they're part participating in the show that you're doing. You know, you've got a script, you've got things to do, but you see them all just jumping in, just, you know, a Borg shows up. 
they pull their phasers, they're having fun, they're into it, and it makes it even more fun for you. To so management was okay with the convention people going onto the ride in cosplay? Oh my gosh, it was. They, they had, some of them had better costumes that were supplied for us by Paramount. They, they, they really did a good job on their own. So, it, it was great. It was honestly, we still call it the funnest job in the galaxy. Okay, so. okay thank you. It was nice <laughs> right, meeting thank you. So right now they're taking the family photo. So Larry has brought some more stuff for their little exhibit here. So let me start off by saying that believe it or not, Star Trek The Experience at one point during its decade run here in Las Vegas was voted the number one place to have your wedding in Las Vegas. So they would actually sell wedding packages specifically for the experience. And we have, we were talking about the warp core earlier. We have one of the actual, so there's a lot of memorabilia. Um, so we're back in the main bar area. And right now you heard us talking about it. I'm sorry, that's okay. They're showing the video of the closing ceremony. Which is really sad because the first part of, uh, I'm sitting there holding my camcorder up and I started to get some great footage. And then as they started calling people's names coming out, I was Sorry. like, <laughs> my camcorder was just the air. So you, you were there at the closing ceremony? I was, I got a special invite to sit uh, second row Actually, in the footage they just showed there on the TV, that they showed uh, Chase Masterson. I was about four people down from her and a, a row back. So I was I was really close to it all. Thank goodness. I, it was an honor and privilege to be there for that. So, what memories do you have of that day? Of that day? Of that day or the the event itself? Oh gosh. I know, just a lot of tears, basically. Hugs, tears, hugs, and more tears. That's about all it was. I don't. I can't really think of anything that stands out. Everybody was just too busy crying. <laughs> I know, the memories of just all the friends that I made there and everybody, because after it, after it ended, we all just kind of stood around and cried and... It was just an honor to be there. I, I can't really explain it. So it's a Star Trek event, so of course Larry would be here. Because it's in his contract. No, no, no. Oh, I, I wanted to come here. Wait, I worked on the oh, up front of this. Me and, uh, me and other people. Okay, then maybe you can answer a question that I have. Okay. Because the original promotion for this on the VHS and the poster they have over there in the corner said it was really supposed to open in the summer of 97. Yeah, it kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed because it was just so much to do. And and I think um, Landmark, the company that had the master control over everything that I was actually working with, uh, that licensing like steered them toward me and me and other people. People were making, you know, crops and people were recreating costumes and people were, you know, doing... But I was mainly doing image and I roll the plaques in the museum and doing image notes. And... Uh, uh, it just, I think Landmark hadn't done anything, if they had done something licensed, it was not on this big a scale with a licensee type situation. Yeah. 
So I don't think they anticipated how much the submit, get notes, submit again, get notes again thing kind of. And there were and there were there was just so much. I mean, I, I'm I'm speaking here for this huge company and all these people and all the ends of Paramount at the time. You know, the huge mega old old school Paramount. And uh, but there was just a lot of nuts and there were a lot of moving parts because you had the ride, you had the mechanics and the engineering of the ride, you had all the content of the museum, you had the food end of you know Quarks and the restaurant, you had all the local stuff with Las Vegas and licensing and code and and how they you know they started off building the sets and the and the tour pieces and they started in thinking it would be like building sets. And then the fire code in the city of, of Las Vegas came and went, no, 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 you can't build this out of fiberglass. No, you can't do, you know, so they had to rejigger a lot. But, so yeah, it was about, it was supposed to be open in the summer of, of 90, uh, uh, what, seven? Yeah. And it kept getting delayed, 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 and then finally they said, okay, January 3rd, and we're like, what, the holidays? Like, you're gonna go Christmas, New Year's, and then open it three days after? But it was, it was huge. The gala was amazing. There were so many people crammed in. Well, I remember back when the network morning shows used to be a big deal. They they had somebody, and I remember Shatner being interviewed on the Today Show. Well, they had a ton of cast here. I mean, you can go back and look at the. I mean, you know, there were 30 or 40 of the actors here, and all the people that worked. There was every arm of Paramount, every arm of. Um, uh, you know, Paramount TV and licensing and Paramount Parks, back when that was a thing. And uh, all, and it was the Hilton Hotel, so all these big wigs from Hilton, all the big wigs from Landmark, the, back when it was all a, a one-stop shop for a theme park. And so all the, you know, the animatronics and the engineering and the art and the construction. And there were just so many arms involved and all the big wigs and the sub big wigs and the assistance of the sub big wigs and the assistance, you know, spouses and girlfriends and boyfriends. Yeah. I mean, it was just a huge mob. And, and yeah, the royalty was the Star Trek people and people from the show that worked on it, you know, and uh, all the contractor people and all the contributors and consultants. And it was just a mob. It was a mob. It was amazing, though. I, 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 um, the opening night is very special because it was holidays, and in those days we were in LA already. But we would go back. We had a van, and we and the kids and my wife and I. My wife Janet worked on Voyager. And we okay, were all, um, everybody that was an original actor from the Star Trek Discovery. We're being that would be the, April person. They're gonna do it. They've done the huge mega picture. Now yeah, they're gonna do the round. Anyway, I'll I'll tell you later. Okay. I have a great personal memory of opening night. Oh, okay. And I may be the only one with the picture of when they actually dropped the curtain and let off the indoor fireworks to open it. There were indoor fireworks. Indoor fireworks. Oh. So we're at another table with more memorabilia. We have photos of the characters. We have some of the actual prosthetics and makeup. Are you just recording this for posterity's sake? Or? No, I am here covering it for a podcast. Let me give you my card. All right. Did you work at the experience, or? I actually did not work there, but I was I was there for the grand opening. Oh. I. 
I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, so you I, were... I flew in to be here for this anniversary party. So you were there 1201 January 5th? January 4th, 2008. But that was the VIP... I was at the VIP Oh, thing. wow, you were at the VIP... Okay, so what... How did you end up getting a ticket to that, and what was that like? All right. Well, so first, what is your name? My name is Greg Hershenow. Actually, have a really interesting story about this. Before the place was even built, I have a friend that lives in Vegas, and he sent me a magazine with a picture of people in suits with a shovel breaking ground of this new thing they were building called Star Trek The Experience. That set the stage for everything that follows. As they were doing construction and building it, I was looking for every bit of information I could, had stuff online, coming soon. I then reached out to the Las Vegas Hilton and said, I got a hold of someone from the marketing department. And someone who, I said, listen, I know the website says this, there's got to be somebody that knows more. What can you tell me? And about once a month, I called this lady that worked in the marketing department. At one point, she said to me, I just have to tell you, you're like one of the nicest people I've ever chatted with. She asks me for my address, and she sends me a t-shirt and a hat long before the place even opens. Wow. One of my monthly calls, I call her up. She says, perfect timing. We're just about to put it on the website. It's opening January 4th. I hang up with her, I bought airline tickets, booked a hotel room, and knew that I was coming out for the grand opening. The night of the grand opening, I met her to say thank you for everything and leading up to this, and I met one of her co-workers, and her co-worker says to me, do you have any nice clothes with you? And I said, no, I just have, you know, what I'm wearing. And he hands me a ticket to the black tie VIP thing and says, You'll need to rent a tux. So at that point, I go up to the concierge desk, say, well, how do I rent a tux? He tells me the name of a place around the corner. Calls me a cab. I call up the tux place. Said, I need to get a tux right now. He says, where are you? I said, the Las Vegas Hilton. He said, oh, that's two minutes away. He's like, we're actually closed, but I'm waiting for my wife to pick me up. So come on over. So I go to this closed tuxedo place, try it on. I'm telling him the whole story. I finished getting the tux on. I said, oh, I'm just wearing this out of here. I'm like, I'm not changing back into my clothes. He says, it'll take too long for a cab to come. My wife's picking me up. We'll just drop you back at the hotel. So they take me back to the hotel where I run and put all my stuff down and come downstairs just in time to watch the actual ceremony where the curtains flew open wow. and they unveiled the place and then had a ticket to go in. I met all kinds of celebrities and was at this whole black tie thing going on the ride prior to the warp and ride preview, which is something they sold tickets for. And I had a midnight ticket for that, the first ride. But I actually it was fortunate enough to go on the ride before that because I was in the black tie event. Wow. And uh, like I said, when, when they announced this 20 year reunion, our anniversary of it opening, I said to my wife, I said, I, I need to go in for that. And so I flew in, I came in yesterday night, I'm here at the party today and I'm going home tomorrow. <laughs> wow.
So did you did you visit the experience? I did. I was actually there not only for the grand opening. I was there for the Y2K party that they only sold a hundred tickets to uh, to celebrate New Year's when it turned Y2K celebrating on the bridge of the Enterprise. Wow! And I went a bunch of times in between the opening and that, and a few times after. Uh, up until I think the last time I was there was in 2007 okay. when I was in Vegas with my wife for our wedding anniversary. Okay. Wow. So it was a it was a magical magical place to come visit and knew that I had to be here tonight. Well, I think you, you I think you have the story to top. <laughs> so uh, yeah, back of my shirt says made in Boy. Oh, actually, I have a copy here. This is I have a copy of the VIP ticket. Oh wow! This was the black tie VIP event. I'm glad you're here tonight to, to archive and document this night tonight. Yeah. So thank you. No problem. Thank you. You worked at the experience? Yes. Can I interview you really quick? Here's my card. Okay. Um, okay, so um, to let everyone know who you are and what you did at the experience. My name is Gretchen Baker, and I started in 2004 as Starfleet on the Borg side, and then I was also Starfleet on the Klingon side. I was the Bajoran Major Lorea, as well as the Ferengi female Riska. I was a backstage tour guide, a trainer, and also navigator. So do you have any special memories from your time there, or any that stand out? that you can share? One of my favorite ones is when I was standing inside the orientation chamber of the Borg invasion and unbeknownst to me, Michael Akuda was part of my group and part of our job was to keep everyone away from the walls and this man kept going over and pushing the buttons on the walls and I finally had to go over and say, sir, please stand clear of the panels. Didn't know that was Mr. Akuda looking at his own Akudagrams. <laughs> Was there um, any other memories? There's tons of memories. I was there for this is all full of memories for me. It was a great place to work. We used to watch movies backstage all the time. So in between shows, we'd watch movies. In between shows, we'd make our own movies. So we had a fantastic time every day. And there's lots of memories, though. I don't. Even, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Sometimes the, the bloopers, maybe, like when you didn't know that the transporter room had already flown and the doors would open and you'd be sitting outside with a newspaper. Oops. That happened every now and then? Occasionally. Not often, but occasionally. We always try to make each other laugh. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Did you work at the experience? Yes. Can I interview you? Of course. Okay, let me give you my card. Okay. I may not be that interested. Let's try. Okay, so let every, tell everyone know who you are and what you did at the experience. My name is Mary Shank. I was a retail counselor, which was a lead, uh, like kind of like a supervisor. At, yeah. So do you, do you have any memorable stories or memories? Uh, yeah, I do. I remember um, we used to lot, watch a lot of Star Trek. Um, there were a lot of like episodes that we used to play, and that actually built my knowledge up. Uh, with with Star Trek and I yeah were you a fan when you got hired or kind of my parents used to watch the next generation when I was growing up so that series always had a special spot in my heart 
Um, so every time we played that, it kind of reminded me of my youth. So. Any other? Any other memories? Uh, yeah. I feel like I'm on the spot right now. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Um, uh, yeah. Um, I used to, like, the holiday parties were a blast. Um, the closing of the, I was there when it closed, and that was really sad. We used to, we would, like, call everybody's names and introduce everybody, which made me feel really good to just let everybody know who who ran you know ran the experience and who kind of like it was like a well-oiled machine and they offered like the names of everybody that was that was a part of it and it was very special in my opinion thank you it's okay you did great thank you i get i'm i get i get nervous so (laughs) So i'm like yeah i got some answers for you yeah that's me. Oh. <laughs> yes, thank you for everything you did, oh April. Oh, God. Oh, I, you know what? Uh, it was a pleasure. I mean, this is the best, well, it was the best job in the galaxy, and I say that to everybody. It was, uh, it was a privilege to do what I did. And thank you for being here. No, thank you for hosting them. Oh, well, it was, it was a long time coming. We, we thought about it like a couple of months ago, and then we, uh, we came to Alex, who is the owner of this bar, and uh, he, I uh, have to say, Alex was amazing. Alex Pusineri, uh, who owns the Millennium Fandom Bar, and he worked with us, and like, he gave us his space, like gratis, you know, he just gave it to us and he worked with us and he let us put all this stuff up and um, <laughs> look, look at the response. I'm so gratified, but so I can't even tell you. So do you have any special memories from your time at the experience? Every day was special. Every time... I, I did a show up in the attraction, or every time I walked out onto the floor as a character, it meant so much to me. Like, all I knew was that it was the first time for somebody who came into the attraction and saw me or saw the show. I knew that for at least one person there, it was the first time that they'd experienced that, and so I had to make that important for them. And uh, I think I succeeded. Now, did you prefer do, being the Andorian female or the Vulcan? I have to tell you that I, I had no preference because, because they were opposite ends of the, the emotional spectrum. You know, of course, the Vulcan uh, suppressed all her emotions, but, she, but I have to say that the Vulcan was... I want to say she was my favorite because... She was so curious about about uh, humans and how they how they were constructed and how they interacted with each other. But uh, the the Andorian, she was she was so fun because she allowed me to let out everything. So I had I had the Vulcan who suppressed everything, and then I had. 
the Andorian who just let it all out. And so, they actually, it was very psychologically... <laughs> it was very therapeutic. Yes, it was totally therapeutic. Well, I had the privilege of seeing you doing the Andorian character last... Not last year, but in 2016 for Star Trek Match Game. Yes, oh my God. And she totally, she chewed up the scenery. <laughs> now, did did, they, did John say to do it in character, or did you want to do it in character? Or? Um, when, John Champion? Yeah. Yeah, when he approached me, he just approached me as me. And I was like, how about a Tyrin Kong? And he was like, um, yes. <laughs> That's how that happened. So, yeah, so it didn't start out that way. He just wanted me as me, but then when I said, how about Tyrin, he was so into that. So, so it, it worked out well. So, I know that, that they're showing a lot of videos right now in the bar, and there's one particular. So, if you don't want to talk about that. Well, I can talk about it. I just can't watch it. Okay. Yes, it's, a, it's, a, it's the very end. Um, I was the I was the first person on the time station because they hired me and Kirsten Zapansky uh, on August fourth of uh, two thousand no nineteen ninety six. Oh my God. Ninety seven. Ninety six. Ninety six. Wow. No wait, ninety seven. Sorry. Uh, oh, okay, ninety seven. So uh, August fourth of nineteen ninety seven. Uh, Kirsten and I worked with the uh, the contractors, and we tested all the equipment that you, when you guys came through as guests, you know, you came on that equipment, and uh, so we tested it for the contractors and all the, the uh, everyone who uh, built the experience. So, so when we uh, when we ended. Um, it ended up that because Kirsten had left and then come back, that I ended up being the last person on the time station. So, so at the closing ceremonies, they presented me with the Federation flag, which is right over there, by the way. And um, uh, I did not know they were going to do that. So that that emotion that you see on that video is completely natural. And I came out as to Prill at the end because I thought that she would be the best person to end the, ex the experience with. But then they presented me with this flag and um, I frankly just lost it. And so I am now known forever as the crying Vulcan. <laughs> Which I'm, I'm very proud of. That uh, that makes me feel good because that was a pure emotion at that point. Well, I've seen the video several times. Yes. I I still can't watch it. It's like almost ten years later. <laughs> they were playing it the other day. I was like, I gotta leave. I can't. I can't look at it. It means too much to me. Now you referred to the experience as the time station. So if you can let some of our listeners know what you mean by that. Oh, well, um, it was the time station the entire time we were there. Uh, the part of the backstory of Star Trek The Experience was that the Federation had placed a time station very similar to Deep Space Nine, which was on the air at the time, into uh, 20th century 
uh, Las Vegas because of the incursions into the time frame. Yeah. So, so they put it there to monitor things, you know, to make sure everything was okay and if some temporal anomaly happened that they could take care of it. And so for 10 years, that was its purpose. So when Enterprise th had that temporal code word plot line, did any of that enter in the scripts for the characters? Well, um, the guy that played Korath was Korath in the, the final episodes of the... Of, uh, wait, the Voyager? I think it might have been Voyager when they came back. Yes, when Voyager came back, yes. yeah, Korath was there, and it was the same actor. Okay. So that was the the um, the connection. Okay. So the actor who played Korath on the screen in the Klingon encounter was the same guy who played Korath in the uh, Voyager finale. Okay, and ending. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much, and thank you for for do, for doing this for all of us. years later it's still important well, I, I, I went to it once in 2007 that was the only time I didn't like the Borg 4D because for obvious reasons they don't tell you what's going to happen in the in the theater Wait, did you get assimilated <laughs> no I didn't Thank you, April. So, I found out they do have three specialty drinks. You see those concoctions there? Yeah. That one there is called uh, Beam Me Up Scotty. Okay. That one's an Andorian Ale, apparently. I thought Andorian Ale was green. I have no idea. That's just what she said. <laughs> And then that one down there... James D. Kirk? Is, uh, yeah. So they aren't doing a warp core tonight? No. Apparently not. But you know, if you if you really want one, though, uh, you can go to McMullen's Irish Pub here in town, and one of the original bartenders, he bartends there, and he has access to dry ice and everything. He can still make you one. And, and he can serve it in a fishbowl, oddly <laughs> enough. I don't know why McMullen's Irish Pub has a fishbowl, but... <laughs> well, I think I think the answer is in the name of the bar. Possibly. What was that? I'm sorry. I think the answer might be in the name of the bar. Oh, Irish. Uh, Irish Pub. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But uh, I don't know. I'm sure if a lot of your fans, especially people that have been to Star Trek The Experience, uh, remember the bartender Darren... Well, actually, a lot of the people who are probably listening to this have never been to the experience, yeah. or they probably didn't even know there was a, was a, such a thing. Oh, okay. I, I apologize. All right. Well, there was one of the one of the most infamous bartenders uh, was a guy named Darren Benjamin, who was more famous than famous because yeah, he was infamous. Yeah. Yeah, he was infamous. <laughs> he was he was known for getting you tore up and then kicking you out. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> But he might show up here later, because he said he had to work early today. So he uh, had to go home, take a nap, do some stuff with the family. But he said he may be here later. If he shows up, 
I'll bring him over here to you. Okay. So you can you can uh, talk to him a little bit. Yeah, April was telling me she was surprised the number of the people that showed up for this. It's a really good turnout. I'm, I'm very happy to see so many people. Well, for those 10 years, well, 11, no, 10 years, you know, the Las Vegas Hilton was the place to be. Yep. If you were a Star Trek fan. Core place because anytime you know, during the convention, there at the Hilton at the time, if you weren't over in the convention area, you were at Quartz Bar, eating, drinking, partying. And of course, on uh, Friday, Friday and Saturday, that's where they held the captain's chair party. They closed off the Quartz Bar, uh, and then they had the gold party there, whatever you know, Saturday night. So. But outside of that, like, if you were not doing something in the convention, you were there. There was no really in between. <laughs> and so right now they're showing the um, featurette about the Borg 4D, which was the second attraction that they had built for Star Trek The Experience. And they went all out. Um, they got Bob Picardo back as the doctor. Kate Mulgrew as Admiral Jameway. So it's the second time... On screen, we ever see Admiral Jameway and Alice Kriege. Kriege is the Borg Queen. And the reason it was 4D, because there was the 3D glasses you had to put on. And you've been hearing me talk about it. The chairs, well, the plot of Borg 4D was the holographic doctor was, was found people who had a special genetic trait that made them resistant to Borg nanoprobes. And it was called, I think it was either Operation or Project Resistance. So when you're in the seats, they have all of these things moving that feel like Borg nanoprobes. And the grand finale of it, of, of the, the Borg 4D, was the showdown between Admiral Janeway and the Borg Queen. So the, the three of you worked at the experience? Yes. Retail. Retail. Do you mind being interviewed? Here, let me give you my card. You get a card, and you get a card, and you get a card. So if you can let everyone know who you are and what you did at the experience. My name is Melissa Lani, and I worked at retail for about three years. I was only summer employee, though. So you would deal with the craziness during the STLV? The convention? Um, not so much the conventions, more of the uh, during the summertime, um, everything from private events to anything, you know, just the daily operations. So do you have any special or fond memories of your time working? Oh yeah, we have we have a lot of fond memories. Um, so actually I met my husband there um, and he was also in retail. One of my favorite memories is uh, him working up in the top of the promenade and dropping tribbles on all of the Klingons as they were talking to guests at the bar. 
Um, we all got into a lot of trouble for it because we were not supposed to be doing that, but uh, it was definitely a fond memory that we had pictures of. Um, I can honestly say that Star Trek The Experience was the best job I have ever had. And uh, that coming from someone who um, was so inspired by Star Trek, I became an engineer, and I'm an engineering supervisor um, for the power company actually now. So, other than 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 harassing Klingons, <laughs> any other um, memories come to mind? Um, it was a great crew. I mean, we have a lot of fun memories. So, in retail, we had the opportunity to interact with all of the actors, uh, especially the Klingons and the Ferengis. And we were supposed to be basically the Bajorans that ran the space station. So, we had a lot of fun memories, like parading down um, the promenade with uh, a loot and um, some of the old Bajoran artifacts. Uh, we often had times where we'd pull out the, uh, the different things out of the Admiral's collection and show customers tricorders. Um, another good memory was um, we had put out a fake display case with absolutely nothing in it, right? <laughs> And in the display case, we were convincing all the customers that it was a cloaked device. Yes. And we had a price tag of $10,000 for the cloaked device. And a customer actually took their credit card out and wanted to buy this absolutely nothing cloaked device. Why didn't you sell it? We didn't have a SKU number for it. Okay. Okay, and you, um, can everybody know who you are, sir, and what you did at the experience? Name is Jonathan Waltz. I was a retail supervisor. I was there from 1999 to 2005. Um, pretty much just worked the retail promenade. Did a few of the conventions through uh, California. Also, we also um, did the experience convention over in New York once. Um, we did. Wait, the, there were conventions for the experience specifically? Um, the creation conventions actually invited us there, actually, and we were able to actually set up actual na um, Star Trek The Experience booths actually there. Um, it was only uh, two times in the Pasadena convention. For the Grand Slam? Yes. And then one time in New York, and I think um, they did do the Illinois one, which unfortunately I didn't go to, but the other ones we did represent, though. So do you have any um, special or fun memories or stories from your time working at the Experience? Oh my, yes, definitely. Um, probably one of the best times is when they did the holiday party. Um, they would get the employees to do the ride, and the best part is they would switch up the ride a little bit in the storyline. They wouldn't do the actual real storyline. They would have the ops actors actually say different lines. <laughs> and one of the times, we were all on the bridge. They got us up there, and they had all the Klingon actors actually come out through the exit doors and actually try to take over the bridge while we were already on there. It was actually hilarious. It was a lot of fun being an employee there, especially during the after hours. It was just amazing. It really was. Even during the times they were there, we all had a lot of fun. We really did. Well, I've had people tell me that during STLV, it would get, it would kind of get crazy at the experience. That would be an understatement. <laughs> um, 
the crew breach. Yes. Um, <laughs> when 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 alcohol is supplied, you know, definitely things would get a little crazy. Um, nothing against the law per se, but people would let loose a little too much. But it was always in good fun. There was never anything to do with you know law enforcement or anything. It was a lot of fun, and everybody had a great time and a blast doing it though. But definitely during non hours when alcohol was still being served. We would have fun playing triple football in a promenade, it, it, <laughs> kicking them. Yeah, it, it was a blast. And we would do different pictures in a photo morph. It was a lot of fun. And then we have one of our other supervisors that had a blast doing things too. And, it, you know, Gene. Uh, troublemaker. He was a troublemaker, but he was a great man and a great gentleman. This is Gene. <laughs> okay, sir, if you can. The in, well, that means he's more famous than famous. I'm so famous, I'm infamous. <laughs> so we can let everyone know who you are and what you did at the experience. Well, my name's Gene Lonnie. I was a lead at retail from 99 to 02. And I had the pleasure of leading this rabble crew through those fabulous years of fun and... Uh, frivolity? And frivolity, most certainly. And uh, most certainly the most... Funnest years of my life working at the Star Trek Experience. Quite truly one of the best jobs on the planet. Do you have any stories or fun memories that, that you that you can... That oh, God. Man, do I have stories. I think some of my fondest memories is one with an individual who's actually standing just over there. Steve Biggs played one of our Klingons, Krulk. Um, is that the gentleman right just there? Just the gentleman there in the, uh, in, in the uh, uniform jacket there. Uh, I developed the technique of sneaking tribbles into his boot as a Klingon. <laughs> and uh, it wouldn't be till minutes later that he would figure out that there was a tribble in the back of his boot, and he would scream my name, Gene! <laughs> and then I'd have a very angry Klingon chasing me down the promenade. Now wait, I... I... Forgive me, I have to be that guy, but didn't the Klingons already kill all the Tribbles in the 23rd century? So there weren't any left in the 24th century? Well, you know, Tribbles are very prolific. <laughs> but and then again... They the might have killed quite a swath of them, but you know, there is just... It only takes one. But if you remember in Deep Space Nine, I was going to bring that up. Trials and Tribulation. back. You see, so... Life finds a way. Yeah, but they had, the, but they weren't afraid of the motion picture era on Klingons. It was only the TOS era Klingons. Well, you see, that's before the Ruffles had ridges. <laughs> you probably have, you you probably have thoughts about the Klingons in Discovery. Uh, well, you know. Star Trek is a, a living, breathing entity, and you know, it is constantly growing and expanding strange new worlds. And we you know one could obviously argue from the original series Klingon to the next generation Klingon. Well, for that part, from the Star Trek the motion picture, because that's when we first saw them to have the ruffles having ridges. But nevertheless, it, it's, it's not strange to, uh, to think or fathom that the Klingons did not evolve again, or perhaps even dwell more into that. So, you know, a lot of people might poo-poo the new Star Trek. I actually find it quite entertaining. It's a breath of fresh air. 
And uh, the same goes to the new Star Trek movies. But, uh, you know, some people like to cling on to their old ideals. But, you know, the whole point of Star Trek is to, to grow and accept new things. Who knows, if the experience were still open today, we'd probably have J.J. Klingons. I would not doubt that the bit. I would not doubt that one bit. I think if Trek was still there, as uh, we knew and love it, it would be a, uh, you know, a living, growing entity that it was. You know, I mean, uh, at that time, everyone was uh, pretty much stuck in the next-gen era. But uh, since then, you've had so many things from Deep Space Nine to Voyager to Enterprise, and uh, and and now Discovery. So, so who's to say that it's not going to make an evolutionary leap once again? Okay. And ma'am, if you can yeah, let everyone know who you are and what you did at the experience. I am Jamie Prano. I worked at retail um, in the retail shops from the day it opened for about a year and a half. Um, yeah, I sold stuff. <laughs> so, let's clarify. When you say the day it opened, do you mean the black tie event or? Yes, yes January fourth. Actually. Um, I was part of the opening crew and we were there for several months beforehand getting set up. Um, most of us were there for at least three months prior to the opening date, the black tie event that happened on January 4th. Um, rearranging the stores and getting the stores all set up, doing practice procedures with, um, with protocols and how to deal with shoplifters and that kind of thing. Did you also have have run-throughs with with the with the actors in character, so that way you you would already be used to them, and they would be second second nature to every everyone. Yes, absolutely. We would uh, we'd already met all of the characters that were out and about, walking around, interacting with the guests. We also got a chance to ride the ride ahead of time. We were kind of one of the test subjects, and we would also. Uh, act as a test crowd for the restaurant so the servers would be able to test us out the kitchen would be able to test out the recipes so we got to eat the stuff that that were being generated out of the kitchens for free and critique it and give our thoughts and opinions on it ahead of time so you were so you were one of the first people to try the wrap of con yes yes um, we were privy to try everything except for the alcohol um, during work hours, and uh, the original menu was amazing. We had all of the original silverware that was out there, the original salt and pepper shakers that slowly disappeared over the years because they were so unique and so amazing, they kept disappearing off the tables. Now, you said that, you, that three months before you were getting all of the protocols, so do you remember what your, your codes were for shoplifters or um, undesirable guests, rude guests? Um, we didn't actually have specific codes for that at that point in time. Um, it was more, honestly, I think it was more just to fill our time until we got to opening day. But we would, uh, 
we would teach ourselves how to look for bulky items under sweatshirts or hidden items with hidden within other items. And, uh, it was also a good way for us to get used to working on the cash system because it was very state of the art at the time. It was a, a POS system, touch screen, which you didn't see a lot of in retail at that point. Uh, so getting used to that and how that worked was was definitely a challenge and those months leading up to opening day helped us out a lot. Do you have any special memories or stories that you can share? I do. Actually, mine comes from that black tie event night, opening night. The very first customer that I had the privilege of waiting on was James Dewan. Wow. Yes. I remember he came up to me and I remember thinking, he is a lot shorter than I expected. <laughs> and he was in this red flannel and he just, he was so sweet and so nice and he felt like the grandfather I just wanted to hug. And he came up to me and he asked if there was any Scotty merchandise. And at the time, we didn't have a lot of specific character stuff. It was all very much Star Trek themed with Captain type of, you know, Captain Picard, Captain Kirk, Captain Janeway, Cisco, uh, specific items, but some of the extended cast we didn't have a lot of, but I was able to take him into the Admiral's collection where we had a lot of our fine art and collectibles, and I was able to show him some of the beautiful lithographs that we had, and um, the Franklin Mint pieces that we had that did include Scotty in it, and uh, hopefully I was able to give him a little something. Did he buy anything, or just wanted to see if there was any Scotty stuff? Um, at that point, my job with him was unfortunately over. I got to hand him off to somebody else, um, so I'm not sure if he actually bought anything. Um, and honestly, I don't know if there was anything that he didn't already have. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Go ahead, ask your question. Oh, okay. Hello, is it possible to get a quick interview with sure. you? Okay, well, let me give you my card. What was okay, it So, if you can let everyone know who you are and what you did at the experience. Hi, I'm Stephen Biggs, and I started out in as a shuttle loader, uh, but then became a production lead, and then ultimately became known as the loudest Klingon, uh, Kralk, son of Tanek. Well, Gene was telling me some stories about Kral. <laughs> oh, yes? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we used to have fun there. Um, Gene was notorious for when the Klingons would come by, he would surreptitiously put a tribble in the back of our boot, and we'd just be walking all of a sudden, what is this in my... Oh, great, Kalis! <laughs> Gene! <laughs> so, yeah, it was, uh, it was always fun. Anytime we'd go off stage, we'd try to come up with some kind of a fun scenario to play out on the floor. Sometimes we'd we could do it, and sometimes it was a half hour of, can I get a picture? <laughs> yes, okay, of course. So, yeah. So, was there a set script that you guys went by, or was it a lot of improv? There was a set script up in the actual attraction. Down on the floor, we, it was all improvisation. Yeah. 
So all of the alien characters like the Ferengi and the Klingons, the Borg, anytime you got a Starfleet person down, Tarin, um, uh, three of six, all that was improv improvised with just dealing with the guests. We might have a, we might have a you know like a set bit or a set joke or something like that that we would do, but mostly it was just about talking to the people and just treating it all as if it was a real deal. So would it get? It's it's it, it, it would get crazy during STLV when the people would show up in cosplay. Yeah. Now, when that would happen, was it hard to tell who was who was an employee and who was a convention goer? Uh, depending on the costume, yeah. Uh, depending on the costume, we would you know we would <laughs> we did we would those of us who actually worked there we'd say nobody even knows that we're the actual official Klingons or the official Ferengi. They're thinking we're you know, with the cosplayers and that type of thing. To the point where, at one point, when um, Rod Roddenberry was doing his documentary, we kind of got all lumped in with the cosplay segment of it. And we had to kind of go, you know, those of us, that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy, we actually work there. And it's like, oh, so, yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, but, but on the other hand, what was great is when the convention was happened, when we had everyone there in Starfleet, in alien costumes, all that kind of stuff, it was great. And I remember our first Halloween, uh, our general manager came down and said, said, it should be like this all the time. We're like, yeah, we should do like, maybe not monthly, but maybe like every quarter, figure out some you know, excuse to have you know, people come down and cosplay and all this type of stuff. So we can fill up quarks with all these people in Starfleet or as Andorians or you know, uh, Gorn, you know, whatever it was, so that it would look like a Star Trek bar on these special occasions. And eventually we, you know, as we went through general managers, we actually did find people that were more amenable to that, and we came up with all kinds of fun little, you know, events, like mini events and stuff, kind of leading up to the big convention in the summer. Yeah. So are there any special memories or stories that you have? Yes. All right. This is my go-to story. I was just telling these guys, or reminding these guys. This is the 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 uh, tale of the dog on the shuttlecraft, <laughs> and it goes a little something like this. So this is back when I was a production lead. Production lead is kind of a uh, analogous to like an assistant stage manager. And every now and then we get we would get uh, assistance dogs coming through. Yeah. And our protocol on that was to let them go through the entire thing. But obviously, when they got to the shuttlecraft ride that they would be, the dog would be set aside and they wouldn't get on the shuttle. Well, one day, we had two dogs coming through at the same time and they were originally part of the same group. So we were, so the original idea was we let them go through, we have both dogs sitting there waiting for them when they get off the shuttle, blah, blah, blah. Well, they got separated. You know, one person went through faster than the other person. So I walked through the, with the first dog because I knew that the second dog was like still about halfway down the line. And so I walked through the first one, thing went without without a hitch. So I come back up to the front and I, sa I said, okay, I guess we're just waiting for the second dog now. And they go, oh no, the dog went through. And I was like, oh, oh really? When? They go, oh, just that, that group right then. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'm in civvies at this point, so I can't actually go out and be there as part of the Starfleet crew. So I'm just kind of waiting as people go through each part of the attraction and I come through and go, how was the dog, how was the dog? So the last thing is, those of Anyone who's went through it knows that when you get to the shuttle loading part, the, the corridor door closes. So I'm waiting in the grand corridor, waiting for the door to go up. And by the time the door goes up, the shuttle is loaded, 
and I'm walking in expecting to see the dog uh, off to the side. And so I walk in, and there's no dog. And I went to the shuttle owner, and I said, I said, where's the dog? And he goes, what dog? And I was like, what? And we had a, we had a camera mounted in the shuttle. And so we opened up the, the door to have the thing there. And we're like, oh my god, there he is. Sure enough, in the middle of the shuttle, you can see these seats. And there's these two little pointed German <laughs> Shepherd ears sitting in the middle of the shuttle. And he goes, what should we do? Should we stop the ride? And I go, well, he's not freaking out. He's, I, let's just keep an eye on it. And then, of course, again, if you've been through it, you know that the janitor comes yeah. in and gets people off. Yeah. So the janitor comes in, and they go, what are you guys laughing about? I go, look in the middle of the shuttle. He goes, is that a dog? <laughs> and we're like, yeah. And he goes, what should we do? I go, let's just see what happens. And the dog just sat through the whole ride, just like, oh, yeah, this happens every day. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was really kind of a non-event, but we were all just laughing about the dog on the shuttlecraft. We were making jokes, or you know, because... Oh my goodness, you made it! Okay! <laughs> Yay! Um, yes. um, so we were joking, I was like, oh yeah, the dog was like Lassie. Uh, the gentleman was blind. And we're like, yeah, the dog's like Lassie. It's in there going, oh, 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 yeah, Klingons. <laughs> okay, temporal rift, okay. <laughs> oh, okay, a flight down the Vegas Strip. So yeah, we had, we had a lot of fun with it. Needless to say, <clears throat> A couple of us got into a little bit of trouble over that. <laughs> Not supposed to allow dogs on the shuttlecraft. But it wasn't your fault. It was just it just happened. It, it just happened. The shuttle loader didn't see it. I wasn't there to say, you know, there's a dog coming through. So yeah, it just happened. But again, nobody got hurt. The dog had a good time. <laughs> the dog got to go where no dog has gone before. That could have been a whole other thing. You could have had like rides just for dogs. Just for dogs. Just well. And here's the kind of exciting sequel to the whole thing. There's a company in town that trains service dogs. Yeah. And they would occasionally bring them into the experience because flashing lights, loud noises, Klingons. Yeah. And it didn't hurt that the owners of the of the business were also big Trekkies. So <laughs> it was kind of, oh yeah, we're here on business. But yeah, so they would actually come through and train use use the experience to train the dogs. I can sympathize. I used to be a ride operator at Knott's Berry Farm. Uh -huh. Oh, also Cedar Fair. Yeah, so on behalf, as, as the only actual Cedar Fair employee here, we done screwed up. <laughs> well, it was probably a three-pronged screw-up, but yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, because they bought all the Paramount Parks. Was the Hilton by that time was not even owned by the Hilton. It was owned by Resorts International. Cedar Fair actually ran the place. Viacom was going through its The, the Viacom CBS divorce. Yeah, yeah. So it was, the, the closing was a factor of a bunch of different things. The biggest one being that Resorts International had no idea what they had and they, they like doubled the rent or something like that. And well, the went. rumor that I heard was they were going to turn that whole area into a dedicated stage area and have Michael Jackson be in residence. That was the rumor that we heard too, so who knows, yeah. The one thing I do tell people is, um, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, and the experience closed in beginning of September 2008. Well, something else kind of happened nationwide in 2008. The economy tanked. Oh, and well, Vegas was really hit hard. I thought so. it tanked the year before in 07. No, no, it really bottomed out in 2008. Okay. It started in 2007, 
but it really bottomed out in 2008. So even if even if the negotiations hadn't killed the experience, the economy sure, certainly would have. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you very much, sure, sir. Sure, no problem. So, I need to interrupt this. Pardon me, STOV. We're not STOV. Star Trek: The Experience thing with the Rand. It's 2018. We need to stop. We need to take. Let it go. Out of rotation. There, I said it. End rant. Hello, is it possible to get an interview with you, sir? Oh, Rob Reyes. How are you doing? Good to meet you in person. Yes. Can you make it a quick one? Sure. Okay. So you can let everyone know who you are and what you did at the experience. Oh, my name is Vernon Wilmer. Uh, I was originally brought in as a Borg drone actor for Borg Invasion. Uh, but later became a uh, actor trainer and a Starfleet officer for um, for Borg Invasion. I never did the spandex side. Okay. Couldn't get away with that. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Now I'm the uh, pretty much the unofficial historian of Star Trek: The Experience. So you're the one responsible for the majority of all of the the items that are here on display tonight. Well. Not the majority of them organizing getting them together, but I've only brought a few things with me. So do you have any stories or memories from your time at the experience? Only that getting the job was a fluke. I did not think I would get a job after my audition. I did it to uh, basically shut everybody up. They're like, Vernon, you got to go audition for Borg. And I was like, nah, 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 just go do it. Okay. I did it to shut everyone up, forgot about it, went back to work. And then I got the call that I had the job. And the next five years were the best five years of my life. Now, did you do any other characters besides the Borg and the Starfleet officer? Just Borg and Starfleet. And, and Vernon. I did the Vernon character. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. And thank you for um, putting this on for all of us here it tonight. It was my pleasure, and it was absolutely necessary. Family is the most important thing, and this is family. Did you think that there would be this big of a turnout tonight? This is about what I expected simply because I've been keeping my eye on the social media. So yeah, it's about what I expected. Okay, thank you very much. All right, so that's gonna be it for me. Good night, everyone. And I'd just like to thank you for listening and If you'd like to give us feedback here at the podcast, you can. You can email us at promenadepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow the show at promenadepod on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Robert Reyes, R-O-B-E-R-T-R-E-Y-E-S. And you can also like us on Facebook. Just search for Promenade Podcast. Thank you, and we're going to see you again next week. Bye.